All right, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be talking uh, a little bit tonight and next week about uh, leadership because, well, there's really twofold. I have two classes that the data got corrupted or it never got recorded. I'm not sure which one happened. If the data got corrupted, then it's not my fault. If it never got recorded, then it was my fault. So, But I think these two topics, we're going to talk about accountability, the law of accountability, and also the law of problem solving. We'll talk about that one next week. Um, but So these will serve as the substitute classes, uh, but we're still going to be in the Bible uh, because there's great leadership principles that are taught in the Bible. We're going to have a word of prayer in a moment, but just as an advisory note, we are paying attention to all the you know, possible weather that we could be seeing here on, it would probably be Tuesday. Uh, I don't think that'll affect our services, but if anything did happen and we were looking at you know, some type of landfall here in Tampa, which I'm not saying we are, don't be scared, be prepared. That's a very good thing to live by. Um, then make sure you are subscribed to us on Facebook and check your email because I have a list of all the member emails and I can send emails out to you. We did that when we had the water line down last year for about three weeks. Uh, we communicated with people that way. So uh, just keep an eye on the weather. And if you're curious about services and all of that, you know, we'll, we'll let you know. Right now, everything is moving as forward as planned. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that we can be here tonight. And I pray that as we study your word and also, as we look at different uh, principles of leadership, that we can learn some things and apply them to our lives, especially those of us that are leading people. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. All right, let's go to our Bibles here. We are in Philippians chapter 4. I, I, I think it's important that we start here. We're going to look at three passages. They're a little lengthy, but the whole law of accountability is based off of the principle that you and I are accountable to somebody, okay? The life of a person who lives without accountability is a chaotic life. It's a life that doesn't have any order. It's difficult. And actually, I see a lot of people that suffer from problems in their life, mainly with addiction, mainly with just riotous living, because they're not accountable to anybody. <clears throat> now, we're all accountable to God. The lost person is accountable to God because they have a sin debt that needs to be paid, and if that lost person dies without having an adequate payment for sin applied to their debt, then they will spend an eternity separated from God forever in a place called hell. There's a lot of teaching out there today that tries to tell people that's not true. I think a lot of it starts with the classroom. Things like we did not get here as the Bible says, which tells us that God spoke and we were created. Uh, that's explained away. And if you can explain away Genesis, then you can explain away a lot of man's accountability to God. Because if we're just the random byproduct of chance and multiple trials and errors, then why are we accountable to anything? You know, the feelings that we have, the desires that we have, it's just a chemical reaction and you just need to go with it. And as long as we live within this moral system, which evolution can't explain for a moral system, then everything will be fine. And if you can get kids from a young age to understand those types of concepts, it's going to be harder for them to accept God. It's going to be harder for them to accept that I have something that separates me from God. They, they would, it would just be easier to reject those things, and so they grow up without any accountability. But it's very uh, profitable, as the Scripture tells us in Psalms chapter 1, to avoid the counsel of the ungodly 
the fellowship with the wicked and all of that, that leads to the tree that's not planted by any water. That's not going to be a fruitful life. We're going to go through a lot of problems. John chapter 3, at the end of John chapter 3, it says that the wrath of God abides upon those who have not believed. So that's a very serious thing. John 3.17 says that those that believe not are condemned already. We are born into this world spiritually separated from God. There's not some type of sin that you commit at a certain age that now brings some type of uh, innocence away from you and now you're a sinner. We're born into it. Romans chapter 5 talks about that. So there needs to be a solution. Well, what's the solution? Jesus Christ. Now, many people have heard that. They understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I would venture to say most people in most organized American religions understand that what Jesus did on the cross was a good thing, but they do not put their trust in him. They put their trust in their keeping of works or staying away from sin, turning from something or starting something. That's what they say saves them. They say, I'm saved because I don't do these things and I do these things. Jesus is just a picture now. He's just a role model to follow. The Bible tells us that if we believe on Jesus Christ, we receive everlasting life. When this is hidden from people, they won't get saved. And that's a dangerous thing. And that's why we preach the gospel as often as we meet. I give the wallet illustration, which is a good illustration for how the gospel can be um, understood. It tells you your need, tells you the proposed solution, and how you can have that solution made available to you. It's not something we should ever get tired of, even when we go on teaching in things like leadership, like we'll talk about tonight. The law of accountability, as we're, the, the textbook that we go through is by Elmer Towns, and he's wrote a lot of Christian material, um, but he talks about these eight different aspects of leadership. They're all built off the fact that we have accountability to God, all the way from the highest point of position in the church, and I don't mean high as in authority and power. I just mean the most responsibility, which would be the pastor, down to the people who are responsible for taking care of the physical needs of the church, down to the people who come and attend the church. It's all the same thing. You have accountability through different people, but at the end of the day, you're accountable to God, and God holds certain expectations. The first expectation is that those who are sinners, which is everybody, before they get saved, they have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Do you trust him that he's paid for your sin or are you going to reject him? And those who put their faith, their assurance or confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they receive the righteousness of God put to their account. They have a new nature. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They have their sins forgiven, all of them. They're justified. The Bible uses that legal term. And those who believe not, well, the Bible says very clearly that those are condemned already. And you don't want to die being in condemnation. That means you'll be separated from God. But outside of that, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, okay, your salvation is secure, but now your holiness here, you need to put work into that. That doesn't come automatically. There's three passages that I want to look at. The first one here is in Philippians chapter 4. I went to Ephesians chapter 4 because I was excited about that one. But we are going to be there in a little bit. But in Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I think one of the most powerful things that we have as human beings is our intellect. The way that we process information. And if you look at how people are tortured as prisoners of war, if you can get them to change what they think is reality, you can get the information you want from them. And it's a sick thing. Water torture, I'm not talking about like waterboarding, but drip torture, audio torture, sensory deprivation, all these things you come to find out. What's the goal of that? You're trying to break the person. Well, you're trying to physically like break a bone or break them in half? No, you're trying to mentally get them to check out. Like, they just lose sanity. And this happens to people. This happened in 2020 when people were in isolation. People, I think there's a lot of people that have not recovered from that. Our whole world has changed, really, the way that we operate because of that lockdown that was supposed to go for 14 days. Went for much longer. The way we do church here, remember when we used to do meet and greet? pass around the offering plate, we'd have an offertory. All those things, they just, when we came back, we, came, we kept things to the bare minimum. Some of those things is a positive, some of those things is a negative. It's not for us to decide which ones those are. But a lot of things that happened when people were in isolation caused problems. Depression, mania, just, well, how does that happen? Because this up here is very powerful, folks. If someone can get you to change what you believe is reality, that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And that's why I want to draw your attention to this word at the end of verse 8, where it says, this phrase, actually, it's two words, think on. We are instructed as believers to think on these things. Let's run through the verse again. We will skip the repetitive nature of it, which I don't think the repetitive nature of it is bad. There's some truth to that. We need to think on things that are Look at the the verse. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. We need to dwell on those things. Automatically, you can begin as you go through. What, let's, let's just take a look at the, the week to come. You can begin to filter out the things that match these descriptions and the things that do not. I believe God's going to hold us accountable to those things. If we fill our minds with corrupt things, things of the world, hedonistic principles, what do I mean by hedonistic? Well, where you're the center, your pleasure is the center, and that can be lustful stuff, that can be illicit material, or it can be you're the idol in your life. I sometimes hear that in the way that people live their lives. They're like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I was just watching a kid's show with my little nine-month-old daughter, and it was kind of funny. They were going to the park or something, and the little, char- the little kid character, she was getting very impatient. And the dad was the one that was doing all the work, you know, pulling the wagon, taking them to the park and stuff. And she said, Dad, how about when I say we're going to do something, you do it. Now look, I'm paying attention at this point. I'm like, what kind of 
lesson is going to be taught here, you know, in this show. And I liked his response. (laughs) He said, how about I do what I want to do, and you do what I tell you to do? (laughs) I just thought, in a very woke culture today, that would be considered offensive language. You know, do we have any doubt that kids have wills? They definitely have desires. Are they all good? No. No. But in that situation, I thought they pretty much got it right. I don't know if I would have used it that way, but it was funny. I laughed. And, of course, Remy, she doesn't, she doesn't know what's going on, but I'm just like, you're going to find out what that means. <laughs> but it's important to recognize here that we are accountable. And the things that we put in are going to be the things that come out. Look at verse 9. Those things, so he adds to this list that's already there, which ye have both, and you should take note of this, learned and received and heard. I think all three of those things are talking about the same thing. It's what you're taught. You you, you learn it, you receive it, you hear it. And seen in me, this is the next step that's important. Paul's a leader. He's going out, he's leading people to Christ. He's starting these community churches, which, by the way, they, they didn't buy a plot of land and have a huge church where everybody congregated. That's a newer idea of fellowship today. They, they were in people's homes. And in some place, uh, uh, excuse me, in a specific place in the book of Acts, they did buy one communal thing and all came together and met in one place. But very quickly, in Acts chapter 7, I believe it is, where uh, Stephen is killed for his, his uh, sermon to the council. Everything changed in Christianity. Everything changed. Now the standard was set. It wasn't enough just to beat the leaders, which is what they did. They beat the apostles back in Acts chapter 5. Now they killed the deacons. And so now the world standard is, well, we can kill them if they're not listening. And that's exactly what happened. And this is called persecution. And that's how there was pressure, 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 boom, everything exploded and people pushed out. And so all of a sudden now we're going in, you know, up to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, all these different places, the gospel is being pushed out. There's a description that Jesus uses about the church in Smyrna. They were crushed like fine perfume. They gave off this scent, this fragrance, because at their destruction, the gospel continued to flourish. People say, wow, that's a really dark thought. Well, it's a principle of by persecution, we take part in his suffering. Jesus was rejected by the world. He was hated. And he tells his disciples, you will be hated too. That should not be a surprise to you. I think it's interesting today that a lot of things that are called radical and are on the verge of being called uh, terrorist language are fundamental Christian principles. Marriage between a man and a woman. That's considered radical today. I remember we have a Google business profile, which, by the way, the gentleman that came and visited us today, do you know where he's from originally? He lives here in Tampa for about a year. He's from Maui. We spoke and talked for a little bit. He's got family. Everybody's safe over there, you know, with the fires and all that. He came to our church because of the Google reviews. (laughs) I just think that's interesting. You know, I think that's interesting. But I remember in June when Pride Month was going on, I got four emails from Google each week of the month saying, update your status. 
to tell us if you're LGBTQ friendly. We haven't seen you update your status. We haven't seen you update your status. It would be considered, I don't reply back to him because I'm trying to stay as long as we can on these platforms. I don't have a hateful bone towards that in my body, but I do have a biblical standard. But the world says the biblical standard is the terror. That's the thing that we should avoid. That should not surprise you. It's not, I can't believe it. You, this is where sin leads. I'm not just talking about that kind of behavior. I'm talking about all types of things. Corruption. It's acceptable to deceive people politically. That's, that is a standard that people hold. Say one thing, mean another. I haven't watched those, that, that debate this week, but I'm sure there was a lot of things said that were not true. But it, wasn't, it was like a half-truth. You swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth? People don't tell the whole truth. Conveniently, they leave things out. That's, a, that's a, 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 an accepted way of practice. The believer is going to be held to a higher standard. Paul is held to a higher standard. That's why he says, the things that you've seen and heard and received, and you've seen them in me, he demonstrated the standard. He set the expectation, and that's what leaders should do. And you will be accountable. I will be accountable to God for how I live my life. And how I live my life in the way that none of you see. My private life, God's going to hold me accountable for that. Can a person deceive? Absolutely. Yes. I can deceive you and you can deceive me and we'd be none the wiser. That's why the word of God is the standard that we have to measure ourselves by. Because this is there's no deception in here. But look at the last part of this. And seen in me, just one word, two letters, do. So you got all these things whatsoever, just, pure, all this, blah, blah. The things that you've learned, received, you've seen me, I've modeled it for you. Now it's your turn. I do this with Remy. She's learning how to crawl, right? She loves the army crawl. Her two big toes are probably the strongest things in her body. She learned, she's learned so well how to do that. The other night, she's so close, y'all. It's like, I don't know where she'll just pop up on all fours. And we're like, this could be it. You know, this could be it. But she'll, bloop, back on the belly. So Kyla and I last night, you know, right before her bedtime, we're like, Remy, watch, watch us. And we'll crawl, you know, do all that. And then I'll look at her and say, now you do it. I'm modeling what I want her to do. And she goes, she's all excited because I don't know what's going on in there, in the nine-month-old brain, but something's connecting, right? I'm seeing this guy called Dada with the food all the time, and this other person called Mama, she has food too. They're telling me to do something. She's trying to connect it. And as we see that natural behavior, one of these days she's going to pop up and crawl. And she might not even know that she's doing it. She just might go, wow, this is easier than what I was doing before. But she has to see the behavior in order to do it. It's the same thing with leaders and accountability. God holds you accountable to this standard. He's demonstrated it. Now you demonstrate it. For those who have yet to believe, when you lead them to Christ, now you say, follow me as I follow the Lord. And everything's pointing back to the accountability we have with God. But what is not happening in a lot of ministries today is the accountability. 
because accountability is offensive. It's like, well, are you going to tell me what to do? Is that a surprise? God tells you what to do. Look now in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians. And we'll look in verses 1 through 4, and then we'll look at another, we'll look at two more places in the passage. I'm going to get to some stuff from the textbook that, that we have, but we'll get to that in a moment. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Be ye therefore followers of who? God. As dear children. So this is important to understand. We are positionally in the body of Christ. We're justified with God, but we're also his children now. So we should follow as a child follows a parent. Now, a child that follows a parent, there is a certain description of that child. What is it? They are a obedient child. A child that does not follow the teachings of their parents is a what? Orphan? An illegitimate child? They're disobedient. Still a child, but the quality is poor. And that child will bring shame to the parents, shame to the community, and shame to themselves. They're never unchilded. It's not even a word. They're just not a good one. (laughs) And there are kids out there that are just, they're disobedient. They never get it, you know? We are not to be that way. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. I want you to pay attention to a couple of things here. First of all, verse 2 sets the demonstration or explains a demonstration of how God received the sacrifice of His Son. It was as a sweet-smelling savor. Boy, that's a pretty interesting way to describe the graphic nature of the cross. Why is it described this way? Because it was the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. It was a a blessed thing that Christ died on the cross for us. Yes, it should move us when we see it. I know that Hollywood has depicted it several times. But the Bible says it really well. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's a beautiful thing. Came at a high price, but God saw that as something good. It paid for all the sin of all the world. Because of that, which we've already received, that's the audience here, they've already received it, they've trusted on Christ, we now should avoid fornication. I think that fornication is mentioned a lot in Scripture because in the world, it's a very common thing. The, what's the word I want to use? The corruption of how sex is intended to be. There's some sick stuff going on in the world today. It's, it's crazy. 
without getting into a lot of details, I listened to an interview by a, by a, a Catholic, I don't know what he is, something, he's, but he's a Catholic, and he was interviewing a leading conservative voice. And the things that I'm hearing coming out of this leading conservative voice, I think to myself, that is not biblical. And the Catholic was doing the defending of biblical truth. And I thought, man, conservatism is not the answer. <laughs> biblical teaching is the answer. But fornication is a temptation for everybody. There's this idea in Jewish culture that there's a separation between evil and it's only things that are done physically. You can't perform evil up here in your mind, which I don't know how they explain away when James says, uh, well, you've, you've done well, you haven't committed adultery, but you've committed murder. And when Jesus says, you haven't committed murder, but you've hated your brother, that's the same thing. I don't know how they reconcile that. I don't think they do. But we should avoid it and all uncleanness and covetousness. Let it not be... Here's the amount of times that it should occur. Not once. You see that in verse 3? Not once name among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Instead of all of that kind of living, the sinful living... We walk in love, and how do we do that? People ask me all the time, how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I walk in the Spirit? How do I walk in the Spirit? Start with thankfulness. Start with thankfulness. And in order to be thankful, you have to know what you have. And people will start going, well, I have a car, but it doesn't have AC. Well, I have health insurance, but the deductible is really high. Well, I have a job, but it's not really what I want. Okay. What else do you have? It'll be a long time before people realize, I have eternal life. That's the best thing you could ever have. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to go, you never got that AC fixed. You just didn't have the right car. You, you really should have gotten a better deductible on your health insurance. What is all of that in light of eternity? It's useless. But you've got eternal life. Isn't that good? That's a great thing. Be thankful for that. And you'll find something to be thankful for every day because you've got eternal life from now until... Uh, carry the three, drop the one, forever. <laughs> Look in verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This is important. Not only are we instructed to avoid any type of fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, which is just sinful things, but we're also to reprove them. We speak against them. We are against those things. Now, people take this to the extreme and they make this the only aspect of their ministry. They speak against everything. But the whole point of speaking against something is to point people to the solution. I remember when the Super Bowl was going on. Y'all remember that? 2020? And the Bucks, it was like a script. A lot of people think it was scripted. But anyway... They made it. They were the first team to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. We went out to the riverside, I think, or Riverwalk, out here, downtown Tampa. Full of people, even COVID. I mean, full of people. I mean, bumping shoulders, six feet, what's that, you know? <laughs> and there were two guys, one at the entryway to the Riverwalk, 
and one at the other side. And they're standing on these crates and they're screaming at people and they're calling them wicked sinners, which we all are, hello. And I, I, there's one line that I heard that has stuck with me since. He said, all of you wicked sinners should go into your closet, lay flat on your face and call out to God to save you. What good is that? If you don't tell them how they can get saved right there. There's a lot of people that know what's wrong and preach against it, but they don't give the solution. You want to be accepted by God? You want to stand justified? You want to have all your sin paid for? Jesus died so that you didn't have to. Believe on him and you receive everlasting life. That's a much more digestible message. You know when people were walking by? Not one person lifted up their eyes. Instead, we went out like, you know, little... I don't know what to describe it. Like, we just thought invaded, you know? And we had these tracks that said the goat, right? And they had Buck's colors on them. Greatest of all time. They flip it over. It's an, it's an acronym for the gospel. Led probably three or four people to Christ. Had no soapbox. Wasn't screaming at anybody. Got screamed at a lot. Led a couple people to Christ. That's a good thing. We passed out hundreds of those that day. Had the gospel on it. It's a good thing. We didn't go and participate in the drunkenness and the riotous behavior, although there wasn't any really to speak of that we could see. But we still avoided the things that were wicked and gave them a solution. I'm held accountable for that. And so are you. Look in verses 15 and 16, same chapter. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, and I love these next three words, this is the whole reason why I have a schedule, why I have a calendar, because I am instructed to, as this says, redeeming the time. I have time. I don't know how much of it, but I can determine the quality of it. And so can you. And I am instructed to redeem the time not as an unwise person, but as a wise person. Why do I redeem the time? Because the days are evil. The days are getting progressively more and more evil, destitute, devoid of any kind of godly character in nature. And then we'll close here, at least with our biblical analysis, in Romans chapter 12. Would you join me there, please? Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll look at a large portion of that chapter here. Let's start in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Big word. What does it mean? Hypocrisy. Boy, that is something that a lot of, I think a lot of young people s- s- struggle with. Very good at putting on a front. That's hypocrisy. It's sad, but this is the, the culture that we're in right now. Do what needs to be done to get what you want. You know, Always get something over somebody else. We should love people without hypocrisy. And let me, let me say this very quickly. If you find it hard to love people, I'm glad that you recognize that. But you need to fix that. Because ministry is loving people. If you're like, I'm not a people person. Okay, I'm not saying you have to throw a party every weekend and like, you know, be this amazing host. 
But why don't you love people? Ask yourself that question and be honest. Why don't you love people? If you need help on how to love people, look at how God loved you. It's a great way to set the perspective. We're instructed here, let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Look at the aggressiveness of this word, this wording. Abhor. If something abhors you, it's not like, well, I'll participate every once in a while. Yeah, you've heard me talk about roaches, you know? I abhor those things. There's no situation where I see one and go, not as bad as it could be. You know, I am DEFCON 3 when those things are out. I, you cleave to those things that are good. Just as strongly as you avoid that which is evil, you need to just as strongly cleave to the things that are good. 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. What does it mean to prefer one another? Excuse me, my headset's falling off here. What does it mean to prefer one another? You will the good of another in your place. How do you do that? It's a word. You, when you hear it, you'll, you might be surprised. It's love. That's what love is. Unconditional commitment. God demonstrated that towards us by sending His Son. There were no qualifications you had to meet. You didn't have to get cleaned up before you could take a bath. What is that? You take the bath because you're dirty. You come as you are and you get saved. Somebody emailed me, I don't know who it was, but they emailed and said, you know, do I have to wear a suit to come to your service? I said, come as you are. I wear a suit because I like to and that's a standard that I set. We're not going to check everybody at the door. You got your suit? You got your tie? All right, come on in. What is that? (laughs) Now there are, okay, there are some standards, we know that. Look at the rest of this. Not slothful in business. Don't be lazy in the way you conduct yourself. Fervent in spirit, passionate, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Uh, this, this is one of my big takeaways from this, chap- this uh, passage. I think we're held accountable for our prayer life. It's the most powerful part of our, our, our Christian life. Communication with God. It's an open phone line. I remember when I first got a cell phone plan. I don't know how many of you guys remember this. Everything's unlimited now. There are some things where you can get, you know, by-the-minute plans. You can see Mr. Hernandez about that, <laughs> saying that lovingly to Louis. But I remember you would have your five, right? Your, your circle of five. Anybody remember this with, like, T-Mobile, I think it was? You had your five? Boy, this is how sad my life was. My dad, my girlfriend at the time, which was Kyla, and my bank. I had two open spots. One of them was a financial institution, <laughs> But those people, unlimited minutes. But if you went outside of that, you called a number outside that, well, guess what? You're going to get billed per minute. Aren't you glad that there's not a top five with God? We'll use Johnny as an example. Johnny, you're really close. You're number seven, man. You can get in that top five. You just got to, I don't know, give more to Calvary. We, we can talk about that privately. Aren't you glad it's not how, that's not how that works? You have access to God right now. There's a description in Romans or in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, boldly approaching the throne of grace. The way that I imagine that is, 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 a, is a kid 
who needs help, and they bust into mom and dad's room and say, I need help. Dad, are you here? They, bust, they, they come home and they say, are you here? I need help. It's not boldly in an in a, you know, arrogant way, but you can confidently approach God. He will give you the grace that you need in that time of need. Continuing instant in prayer, 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, Bless them which persecute you. Boy, that's a very un-American idea right now. A very un-American idea. I know there's all this stuff going on, but what's happening with our former president? It's stuff that happens in corrupt countries. You jail your opponent so that you take their voice away? I think the amount of years our former president is looking at is like 400-something. He's in his 70s. You go study some of the way that uh, Russia and China has handled their outspoken political opponents. This is exactly what they do. They trump up charges, no pun intended there, and then they put them in jail, take away their voice. Well, we as Christians, we're going to strike back. Really? Because the Bible says that you are to bless them which persecute you. As a matter of fact, it's repetitive. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. This is just so... This passage right here, if people were to read this in most Christian circles today and say, you know, is this a, is this a you know, principle of Christianity? I think a lot of people would say no. It's a weak thing. People would not even know that this comes from the Bible the way that we're taught today, especially young men. That's a whole other topic for a, a whole other day. But I want you to see this last line in here in 21, verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why I started with Philippians 4. And I think God is going to hold all of us all of us, accountable to these standards. That's what I believe is the function of the judgment seat of Christ. It's a separate judgment for believers where it's going to be determined whether you were, what, what was profitable and what was unprofitable. Your sins are all paid for. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Christ has been applied. You'll stand before Him, Jesus, and give an account. And you will, your works will be tested by fire. What lasts, you'll be rewarded for. What is burned up, you suffer loss. I think there's a lot of influence in how you will rule and reign with Christ in the thousand-year reign. There must be something of massive importance to our Christian testimony. I think the most important thing is the ability to win souls. It's, it's a much better thing for you to live a life that is biblical and godly, it'll be helpful when you soul win. And if you live an undisciplined Christian life, you run the risk of being taken home early as a believer. And you miss the, the only thing that you will not be able to do in heaven is win people to Christ. Here we are. We've got however much time we have. Let's go win people. And let's avoid our lives being something that gets in the way. It's one of the things I love about personal evangelism, that course 
There's a large section in there on the importance of the Christian life. All right, I want to read to you just a couple of things here. Uh, This is from the textbook. But speaking about the law of accountability, if we were to make it in a descriptive statement, we would say this. People follow a leader who gives them responsibility to help reach the objective. So we have all these godly principles here. For pastors and Sunday school superintendents and ministry leaders, people are going to follow somebody that gives them responsibility to help reach the objective. What's the objective here at Calvary Community Church? We want to win souls. We want to train people. It is my job to equip those in ministry with what they need and hold them responsible to that objective. That's my job. And if I don't like that, then I need to vacate the job. There's a lot of people who want to change things. Well, you know, the times change. You see that with the Methodist Church. They're in turmoil right now because they want to change what God has already clearly said. The leader must know the contribution that his followers make to help reach the goal. I'm not supposed to tell you what to do and then run to my office never to be seen again until Sunday. Is he going to come out? I don't know. He's been in there all week. I need help with something. Well, don't ask him. He's busy. That's not a good leader. Leader must know the contribution that his followers make to help reach the goal. And the leader has to be in touch with what's going on. And then you've heard this phrase before. There is a slogan of the law of accountability. It would be this. People don't do what you expect, but what you inspect. Leaders can't just be dormant and uninvolved. You have to inspect what you expect. And if you don't, the response, the possible failure, which is very likely, is on you as the leader. There are really three questions with people that you are leading that you want them to understand is their responsibility. Number one, what am I to do? What's the expectation? Number two, what am I to accomplish? With the things that I do, what is going to be the accomplishment? To whom am I accountable? I think about it like this. It's like a chef. He has the way to make the meal. He has the end result of what the meal should be. And he's accountable to the person he's serving it to. So what is he to do? Collect all the ingredients and be in the environment to be accountable to the person who's going to receive the meal. What is he to accomplish? The completion of the meal. I saw this yesterday with the men's Bible study. It's, I kind of see these things in a lot of different life examples. James does an excellent job now that, he, that we've equipped him with a stove that works. James does a really good job with cooking food. Wonderful how that works. But there were different trays of food. You had the muffins, you had the sausage, you had the bacon, you had the cheese, and you had the butter. Okay, you got to put all those things together. I want an Egg McMuffin sandwich. Okay, well, here's all the things. You've got to put them together in the proper order so that you get what you want. Be silly to have something with bacon on the bottom, both the muffins, and then a piece of sausage, and then a piece of cheese. You've got the ingredients, but you haven't accomplished what you're supposed to accomplish. How do you avoid that? If you're a leader and your people are not putting things together properly, how do you fix that? You inspect what you expect. I want the ministry to be thriving. I can't just say that and expect it to happen. I've got to inspect it. You see how these things make sense? This is, these, these are the things, especially if you're a leader of ministry, you need to be thinking on these things. Accountability implies the leader's partnership and help 
It will motivate followers to do a better job. This is what I focus on when I teach this section here. It's a better job. You can do an okay job. You ever had a job done okay by a mechanic? You're usually back in a few weeks because they could have done better, but they didn't. And that's what makes a great business from a good business. This is what I like about capitalism. It drives that. Those that excel in quality are the ones who are going to get the business. But there's a lot of corruption in capitalism too. That's a whole other thing for another day. But accountability gives the follower a basis of evaluation and a foundation upon which the leader and follower can work on problems together. A good leader is not somebody that sits in a high, lofty tower that never comes out and never talks. They're one that works side by side with their followers. They're doing this work together. They're not setting standards that are unrealistic, that they're not holding to themselves. That is loving with dissimulation. That's hypocrisy. And the scripture says we should avoid that. Accountability also serves as a tool by which leaders can realistically determine if they are succeeding. What if I set the standard? I go to Trent and I say, Trent, by September 7th, which is two weeks away, on a Thursday night, I'm expecting 500 kids in ranch. I'll see you then. And then I walk into my office. Have I expected something that's realistic? I won't know unless I ask him, how's it going? The van fits 15. 500, 15. 515. You see what I'm saying? I need to work with him. And How's it going? What's attendance looking like over the past month? Well, I don't know. Come get me the numbers. Come back to me and we'll look at it. Then we set a goal. And then as we hit each goal, we raise it appropriately. And that's how you see success. There's a lot of people in smaller churches and pastors that tend to be people that want to control every aspect, lead smaller churches because they have unrealistic expectations. How does that happen? They don't know the people that are following them. And the people that are following him don't know him. That becomes a major problem. Leadership is influence. There's one thing I want you to take away as far as accountability and leadership. It is influence. This book should influence the way that you live your life. That's the leadership of God. Leadership is also plural. It is is not what you do to people. Rather, leadership is what you do with people. I love that line. Because you can do a lot of things to people. Like I said, set unrealistic expectations, so on and so forth. But what do you do with them? All right, we want ranch to grow. How can I help you meet that goal? Well, we need a second van. Well, let's figure out how to do that. That's not for me to put my feet on the desk and go, yeah, if only, right? See you, Trent. What is that? I've got to help him reach that goal. We've got to communicate to make those things happen. Here's what a good leader recognizes in regards to accountability. They recognize effort, faithfulness, strengths, and ideas. Leaders should not constantly be looking at the flaws of those that follow. Because while it is important to identify flaws, if that's all you identify, they now have a negative aspect to your leadership. That's why I think 
Philippians 4, 8 is important. Think on all those things that are essentially positive. And anything that those positive things reveal as a negative attribute, you replace it with the positive. I always learn this when you're criticizing someone, when you have to give someone some feedback. Positive, constructive, positive. Hey, I really like this that you're doing. I made some observations, and I think you can do this better. How can I help you do that better? And then you close with, we can do this, because you are doing a great job. You are faithful. You have shown effort. I see that. I recognize that. You know what that person goes out of that meeting thinking? Man, just a few things i got to fix. I can do this. You've, you've strengthened them and encouraged them. I think a good report card to analyze by is, I am making progress in these areas. I'm having difficulties in these areas. I need a decision in this area. And here's my goal for the next time I do this analysis. The leader should do that with the follower. Here's the things I'm doing well. Here's the things I'm struggling with. I need to make a decision about this specifically. What do I want my goal to be for the next meeting? This is what I love about board meetings. I love this about board meetings. Setting a next meeting date. Because we're not just going to get together and twiddle our thumbs, see who can whistle the best. We talked about something in the meeting. Let's set an expectation for the next time that we meet. What do we want to discuss or what do, we, what do we want to have accomplished by then? This stuff with the AC units, we've already met twice on this. Had lengthy discussions about equipment and funds and all of that. We don't just get in there and you know, start playing hacky sack. What do you think we should do? I don't know. Did you watch the game yesterday? Yeah, kind of disappointing. There's order, there's a progress, and we say, we're going to meet again, and the next time we meet, we want to have these things done. This person has the authority to go do what they need to do. The end result is we have new air conditioning at some point. All this takes time and structure. And I, as the leader, have to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that there's not chaos, that I'm not being too critical. And you can have a leader like this that's always bitter, They're always going to poke a hole in something. Someone gives a great idea, but the leader doesn't understand it, and he feels threatened because someone had a better idea than him. Oh, he takes the little needle, and he pokes a hole in that balloon. And the whole meeting, everybody's like, okay. That's not a good leader. I think that concludes what I wanted to say about Leadership and accountability specifically from the textbook. But if you close your Bible and look up here, I explained this in the beginning of the message, and I said I used an illustration, and I want to show you that illustration now. And this illustration is how you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. I think it's great that the gentleman that came and visited uh, this morning, he, he, he was here and he trusted Christ. And I think that's a great thing. I love it. There's been a lot of people that have been coming to faith in Christ since Sunday mornings. Have you noticed that? I think that's great. I don't think that's a you know, coincidence either. You give the gospel, people are presented with the truth, they trust in Christ, that's a good thing. We should be very happy about that. Regardless of the things that we can do better, praise the Lord that the gospel is being given and people are receiving it. But maybe you're here tonight, you don't know where you're going to go when you die. I want to share this with you so you can understand. This hand is going to represent you and me, and my wallet represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short 
of the glory of God. God, he loves us very much, but he hates this sin because it separates us from him. The standard to get to heaven is perfection. Not really good or almost perfect. No sin. Perfection. Because heaven is a sinless place. We all have sin, so we're separated from God. We're born with this sin. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. Somebody has to die for this sin. Modern religions and ancient religions all teach some type of works-based model to bring you in a good standing with God. They say if you give up this and that, you'll have the righteousness of God. If you turn from this or that, if you choose to follow, then you'll get it. All those things don't save us. They're not a valid form of payment. Somebody has to die for this sin. God loves us, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. I'll let this hand represent Jesus. He sent him to die on the cross and take our sin onto himself, pay for it. He was buried, and he rose again three days later. And the Bible says, the one that believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, again, you and me, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean to have everlasting life? This is what John talks about in 1 John. This is the record. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not hath not life. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, you receive the free gift of everlasting life, and it's done. You don't have to go on living a disciplined life, although you should, and God expects it. But that does not mean you're saved or or lost. That's a question of obedience. But if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides over you. And if you simply trust in Jesus, now the wrath of God has been satisfied. You've been passed from death unto life. You're saved. And you're saved forever. Even if you wake up tomorrow and feel like you're not God is faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and that made sense to you, I would like to ask if you would let us know. Now, I'm, I have everybody with their heads bowed and eyes closed because I just this is a private thing. I understand that. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ tonight, I would like to pray for you. You came in and you may have said, I didn't know where I was going to go when I die. I wanted to know that I was going to heaven, but I could only hope because I thought I had to be a good person or I thought I didn't do enough. But to trust in Jesus Christ is to understand that those things don't save you. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his burial and resurrection that saves. And I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone at all time to say, Pastor, I put my trust in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I pray that this lecture on leadership has been profitable to you and that these passages, if they needed to be a wake-up call to you, I I pray that you are awoken to these expectations that God has for us.
Pray for your leaders. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a hard world to live in. but We need to encourage one another. Prayer is the best that we can do. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. We pray that this storm, Lord, would, would not get significant and anyone who finds itself in its path, I pray that they would find the deliverance that they need and the strength. If they go through severe loss, I, I pray, Lord, they can be given strength. Specifically, I pray for this building. That any kind of weather we may go through, it would not be significant. But, Lord, I pray that we can learn to trust you. We pray for the college that's starting in a couple of days, for all the teachers and students. Thank you for all those that are here tonight. But thank you, Lord, most of all, for your son, Jesus Christ. Without him, we'd be nothing. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.